This is the Swift by Sundell podcast, the show that answers your questions about Swift development. Hi, everybody, and welcome back for episode number 26 of this podcast. I'm your host, John Sundell, and like always, I'm joined by another awesome guest. He is an iOS developer at Atipic and a regular contributor to the Swift Package Manager. It's David Hart. Welcome to the show, David. Thanks. Hello, John. So uh, you've been contributing quite a lot to the Swift Package Manager. So this is what we'd love to kind of focus in on on this show. Uh, for a long time, I wanted to do an episode about uh, the Swift Package Manager, or maybe we should call it Swift PM, so we don't have to say that all the time. Yeah, that's the sort of official name. Yeah, exactly. Because it's a really fascinating project from many kind of uh, perspectives. So uh, what kind of got you started contributing to, to this project? Uh, actually, uh, I actually started contributing to the compiler first. Um, and while it's very interesting, um, I mean, it was, it was hard. The, 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 the learning curve is very hard for the compiler. I mean, it's in C++. Uh, there's a lot to know. It's not impossible, I know. I don't want to, uh, to have, I don't want people to to get scared of uh, if they want to work on the compiler. But for me, because I was working, uh, I wanted to contribute my spare time in the evening, and I I wanted to have to work in small chunks of time. Um, it actually was a bit too much for me. Yeah. So I started looking at the other projects in the Swift open source uh, sort of umbrella project, and I started trying to contribute to uh, CoreLibs Foundation and Swift PM. And uh, actually, I, I met the, the I, I started discussing with the, the main project driver of Swift PM, uh, Ankit, and thanks to all the help and support he, he gave me while I was working Swift PM, I really got started very quickly and I got hooked basically. That's awesome. And since then, I've been trying to, um, to, to work on it when I have a bit of time. It's always great to have like some kind of mentor or someone to kind of walk you through a complex project like that, like someone just to give you like an entry point, right? Mm -hmm, exactly. That really helped. Uh, and I mean, whatever the project, um, whatever the side of the project, it always has its complexities. It has its vocabulary, which is quite different that you're not used to. If you're not used to a build system, you're going to learn things there that you you might have a, a problems understanding when you when you start. So it's, it's really always helpful to have somebody uh, help you in. Yeah, absolutely. So to on this episode, we want to kind of dive into the Swift Package Manager quite a lot. And we want to talk a little bit about your journey as well, like uh, getting started with it in more detail and some of the things you can use it for, how it kind of differentiates itself or how it's different from other package managers that we might be using for for projects in Swift and lots of other things as well. Uh, but before we do, let's get to know you a little bit because uh, you've been working on some really cool things and uh, you also just started your public speaking career because I just saw you at App Builders uh, about, what was it now, like two months ago, something like that in Switzerland. Yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> I wouldn't really call it a career. Um, <laughs> um, I just started because public speaking is, is really not natural for me. And I wanted to push myself to, you know, to try something hard, which was not easy for me and try to improve on the process. So it's definitely been a very good experience. Um, I'll be doing a few more talks this year. That's great. Uh, so your talk that you did uh, was about kind of protocols and how to deal with associated types, which is a problem that a lot of people face when starting to use protocols in a more kind of powerful way when you add associated types and then you have to do some kind of type erasure in order to actually kind of use them in a collection or something like that? Yeah, exactly. Basically, I wanted to try to help people through the, the same process I went to when I, when I discovered protocols with associated types. Um, I wasn't, it was quite a new, a new topic for me because all the languages I'd used previously had um, a different uh, type of protocols. They had generic protocols like in C-sharp. So associated types were very new to me. So I went through a whole process of trying to understand them, then having issues using them, discovering type erasure, and I wanted to try to, to take people through the same 
process to to help them through uh, understanding them. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good goal. Uh, I always say that I was talking a little bit about it with Ben Sherman on the last episode as well, that, you know, I really love when people kind of share their experience of, of learning something or going through something for the first time and kind of, you know, helping other people to not have to stumble on the same kind of stones that they stumbled on themselves. Yeah, exactly. That's that was exactly the focus of the, the, the idea of the talk. Um, I also wanted to try to, to end the talk by um, giving people some uh, reassurance that there are features in Swift that could be coming in the future that would really help um, ease the, the, the learning curve uh, through protocols with associated types. Basically, the, the one main feature, uh, which many people are waiting for, is generalized existentials. Mm-hmm. And once we have this feature in Swift, there's, there's a fair chance that we'll get it. Um, it's going to be much easier to to start using type erasure. Yeah, exactly. Because the problem that most people face that you also brought up in the talk is, you know, you make a protocol and then at some point you need some kind of associated type. For example, you want to enable the types implementing this protocol to return a different type from a method call, for example, or have a property that maybe has some constraints on it, but is of any kind of type. And the problem is that if you then try to use this protocol as is with just the name of the protocol, then you get this error that I think a lot of people have seen, which is you can only use this as a constraint because it has self requirements, right? So this generalized existential that you talk about, kind of how is that addressing this problem? Well, once you have this, this uh, error that many people have faced, uh, the only way around it is to create these uh, type erased wrappers that allows you to wrap your protocols uh, and sort of get rid of the types so, and sort of erase them. Um, so for example, uh, any collection, any hashable are examples of type erased wrappers. Now the problem is you've got to write it. First of all, they're not easy to write. They're not obvious to write. Basically, you have to uh, you have to create these type erased wrappers whenever you want to, to uh, fix those issues with the compiler. Uh, and actually work with those types in scenarios where you need the types to be uh, erased. Uh, and the problem is it's, it's a lot of work. Uh, so what generalized existentials will bring is that for most types where uh, a type erase wrapper is kind of obvious for the compiler to be able to automatically generate, that the generalized existentials will allow you to, to basically have one for free. So one, one thing you could say, for example, is any collection could be defined as a generalized existential of collection where element is equal to whatever type. So you would kind of get a generic class or a generic struct instead of getting like the protocol itself. Right. Awesome. Yeah, that's really, really cool. Uh, and I love like how in recent years, or not maybe years in plural, because Swift hasn't been around for that long. <laughs> but in, in recent times, in the recent versions of Swift, uh, there's been a lot of steps towards like minimizing that kind of boilerplate with things like, you know, auto, uh, auto-synthesized implementations of Hashable and Equatable, and now with case iterable in, in, in Swift 4.2, where you can iterate over all your enum cases so you don't have to write these kind of all functions or an all property and things like that. So I think this could also be a step in that direction, right? Yeah, of course. It's, it's a step in the direction. And Swift has, has had many of these features um, uh, lately, and it's just Swift is getting to the point where it's getting more mature. And it's getting all these features that just help developers in their lives. They're not groundbreaking features, but they're there to ease the development experience. Yeah, exactly. All right, so let's get started talking about the Swift Package Manager. So the first thing I guess we should talk about is kind of what the Swift Package Manager actually is and kind of why Apple started this project in the first place. Um, The Swift Package Manager is basically a tool for managing... um, uh, and distributing your Swift code. Uh, it's integrated with the Swift compiler, uh, or it uses the Swift compiler, and it automates um, dependency management, uh, downloading uh, those dependencies, compiling them, and linking them together uh, to generate your, your projects. Yeah, exactly. So uh, one way of looking at it is kind of 
that it can resolve your dependencies for you. And then it kind of takes all those different parts, all those different binaries, and it puts the, them together with your code to form kind of the final binary. So it doesn't actually compile your Swift code. I mean, that's the, that's the job of the Swift compiler, but it kind of acts as the build system or it makes sure to kind of take all those different steps and kind of execute them together. Exactly. Also something that people don't know is that it's not only uh, for Swift code, you can actually build uh, C, Objective-C, C++, and even Objective-C++ uh, targets. Uh, that's basically because it can call the Swift compiler, but it can also call the, the Clang compiler. So it's it's actually even more varied than people think it is. Oh, that's really cool. And I guess that can be really useful in situations when you depend on some kind of really low-level C library, like a system framework, and or if you want to just like use your old Objective-C code in your Swift package. Yeah, exactly. Uh, just to give you an example, for example, um, an example, um, Swift PM itself uses uh, L build, which is the the C low level build system used by Swift PM, and by the new uh, Xcode build system that came out recently, and it has a package of Swift manifest, and it can build with uh, Swift PM, and that's an entirely C project. Wow, that's really really cool. And one really cool thing also about the Swift package manager is that. The Swift Package Manager is also built using the Swift Package Manager, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> Which uh, kind of makes it self-hosting in a way, doesn't it? Yeah, it's basically the when you want to work on the Swift Package Manager and you clone the project, you've got to run a script called Bootstrap, which will actually start by compiling Swift PM with um, the latest version of Swift PM that it's in that's in your uh, local toolchain, and then it will build the version it just built with itself again to make sure that it's actually bootstrapped with the version that with the code that's currently in uh, in uh, in the in the folder so yeah it's self hosting that's really cool so how does that work like if you're making a change that is a api level change to kind of how let's say you're making a change to how these uh, the package manifests like how the dependencies are set up uh, how do you kind of debug that if you need to build swift pm in order to you know, test your change, you're testing using kind of the, the version that ships with, with Swift, like the default version, or how do you do something like that? Well, most of the time you're gonna start by running this bootstrap script, the bootstrap script, sorry, which <laughs> um, will build the first time with the, the one in your, in your local toolchain. But after that, you're always building with the latest version you've just built. So it very well happens that um, you're going to make a change that's going to break Swift PM, and then you can't build again with with your with your current version, and you've gone through, and you've got to to run Bootstrap again. And, and so, yeah, it's 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 a complicated process sometimes. So you can really like paint yourself into a Swift PM corner. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that sounds that sounds pretty crazy. And then, but then you like clear the state by by running the bootstrap bootstrap script again. That's kind of a tongue twister. Bootstrap script. <laughs> yeah. So you run that again, and then you're kind of back to normal, and you can start over again. Exactly. Cool. So uh, one thing that a lot of people are talking about is you know, whether Swift itself will be self-hosted. And what that means is just like how Swift PM uses Swift PM to kind of build itself and, you know, how, how you work, you use Swift PM to work on Swift PM. It's very inception, all of this. Uh, you know, people are talking about whether Swift will adopt that model as well and whether Swift will be self-hosted. Uh, so do you think there's a possible future where the Swift package manager could actually be used to build uh, the Swift project itself, like the compiler? Well, there's two things to, to discuss here. Um, I think when people uh, really ask about if Swift is going to get self-hosted, uh, there's also the question of, will the compiler ever be written in Swift itself? Right. Uh, that itself, I think, I'm sure loads of people would love that, but I think it's very far in the future, if mm -hmm. it ever happens. Uh, in terms of actually building Swift with Swift PM, I think we're going to get there at some point fairly in, in this sort of medium-term future because Swift PM has been designed to be able to uh, build uh, C++ projects and the Swift compiler project is a complicated project, but we might get there. Yeah, what are some of the kind of blockers that are in the way? Like if we can already build C++ projects, 
that would mean we could actually build a compiler, right? And I guess the other parts are like the standard library and things like that. But what are some of the things that are kind of standing in between now and being able to, to do something like this? Well, SwiftPM is, is still missing uh, a few uh, key features that would give it a lot of flexibility and enough flexibility to be able to build a project of the magnitude of the Swift compiler. Uh, for example, there's no way right now to uh, define build settings in the Swift compiler. If, for example, you want to uh, to build your Swift project or your C++ project and you want to pass some, some settings, some build settings to the compiler or to the linker, you've got to pass them in the command line. You can't define them in the package, the package manifest. So that's one thing, for example, which would really be necessary before uh, we could, uh, the Swift PM could uh, build larger projects or more mm -hmm. complicated projects. And I'm sure there are many more small features that, that would need to be uh, in place uh, before that happens. But I think one of the biggest problem is also the fact that um, to be able to to self-host Swift like that with Swift PM, uh, the whole the whole build process which builds Swift, right now the whole process builds Swift and then Swift PM. Right. If you want to if you want to run uh, Swift if you want to build Swift with Swift PM, you've got to bootstrap Swift PM with a version of the Swift compiler before you can then build Swift itself, which can rebuild Swift PM. So it makes the whole build process more complicated. But I think it might be quite worth it. It becomes like a double bootstrapping problem. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, wow. Yeah, these things are really interesting when you start looking into them and kind of how can we solve these dependencies and how can we kind of bootstrap our way there without creating these like circular dependencies where you need Swift in order to build Swift PM, but you also need Swift PM in order to build Swift, right? <laughs> yeah. All right. So um, speaking of kind of the limitations of uh, Swift PM, because there are quite a few, and so, you know most of them are for kind of natural causes. And Swift PM is also a very interesting project in kind of how it was introduced, where it's not like fully integrated into Xcode. It's not used for iOS even. It's more focused on you know building command line tools and uh, using it for server side Swift, which we're going to talk about a little bit more later. But one such limitation is that we can't use it yet for iOS projects. So this is where most people will use some other package managers like CocoaPods or Carthage or something like that. So how does kind of Swift package manager, apart from these kind of limitations, uh, how does it kind of differ from these package managers that people might have been more using for iOS development? Um, they're quite, in fact, they're quite different right now. Uh, CocoaPods is uh, it's purely a dependency manager. Uh, it doesn't actually build your projects it, because it just generates an Xcode project and then you build your projects with Xcode. Right. Uh, whereas Swift PM is a dependency manager, but it's also it also builds uh, your projects directly. Um, so right now, Swift PM currently only supports uh, building command line and executable uh, macOS and Linux projects. So uh, Swift PM is at the same time more general than CocoaPods, but it's also more limited because, like you say, we, we still can't write Mac or iOS apps with it. Yeah, exactly. And one really key limitation as well, especially compared to CocoaPods, is that SwiftPM is not a centralized package manager. So the way CocoaPods works, or at least the way most people use CocoaPods, is that you can just enter in your pod file, you can just enter the names of your dependencies, and then CocoaPods will actually resolve them. So CocoaPods knows about the packages that it contains, or the pods that they call it. Uh, but with Swift PM, you are more using it the way you're using Carthage, which is that you're specifying exactly where your dependencies are. So you will say like, uh, you know, I want to use this package and this dependency, and it's contained at this like Git URL. Yeah, that's actually, a, I think it's a design choice uh, of Swift PM. I don't think I would put it in the in the list of um, of uh, disadvantages. No, no. It's 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 really a a decision to make sure that it's decentralized, so that there's no one point of failure. Um, there's no server that uh, Swift PM needs to contact to be able to get the different uh, dependencies. The only dependency is the URL where the different projects are uh, hosted, basically. 
Cool. So uh, we mentioned now a couple of times that there's a package manifest file, and this is the package.swift file. So whenever you create a new Swift package, which you can do with Swift package init on the command line, uh, you get a package and in there, there is this Swift file. So this is kind of the configuration file or manifest file for all Swift packages. So David, tell us a little bit about this file. Like what does it contain and how do you usually set it up? Okay, so the package of Swift file, as as the name implies, is Swift code inside it. Um, so the manifest is completely written in Swift. Um, you create basically a package class. You initialize the package class and you initialize it with properties, which defines the the different targets, uh, the different test targets, the different products that you expect SwiftPM to to generate for you. Uh, and all of those are defined in a package description library. And one question, one thing which is quite interesting is, why is it a Swift file? It could have been a, a JSON file. If you're used to, if you're used to NPM, the manifest there is a is a purely declarative JSON file. So um, I think that the design decision to have a Swift file is to make sure that um, users have a, a better editing experience. Um, one day, if we start editing, if we end up editing our package description description files in uh, in Xcode, uh, we're going to get auto completion because it's Swift and Swift and the compiler knows about the package description module, and it can give us um, um, auto completion. Uh, it's also more flexible. So if you want to uh, set a property only in a certain case, uh, you can do that because you're you're just writing Swift. In the end, it's still 100% declarative uh, format because what uh, Swift PM reads at the end is just the state of your package class at the end of executing the package.swift file. So, I mean, even if you can write executable code, it's still better to write, of course, uh, more decla declarative code. Yeah, exactly. And it's something, you know, kind of cool, just that you are building a Swift project and you're even using Swift to kind of you know, define the manifest. I think that is pretty cool. And uh, this is also where some of the nice features of Swift kind of come into play with like dot syntax for enums and things like that, where, you know, you could have had it as a JSON file, sure, but it actually, I think, looks even better as Swift code because with all these nice features that we have in Swift, uh, the syntax becomes like really nice and clean. And it really just kind of looks as a configuration file, even though it is actually executable code. And also the more features uh, are going to be implemented inside that package description uh, file in that uh, manifest, uh, the more it can use the, the type system to be able to check that uh, what you've defined is a valid, a valid description. If it was just a, a simple JSON file, it would be much harder to statically check that everything is correct. Yeah, like you mentioned, having executable code in your manifest file, just like CocoaPods allows as well, because that's all in Ruby, like it's an executable Ruby file. It is. It gives you a certain amount of flexibility. And like you mentioned, you can use it to like maybe check for some flags or something and maybe only want to include certain packages under certain conditions. And it really like, even though, like you say, it's a declarative outcome, it really gives you this benefit of being very flexible uh, and using things like conditionals in your actual manifest file. Yeah, of course. That's. I think that was the the whole idea behind the design process for for a Swift uh, def, uh, manifest file in the in the first place. All right. So let's talk a little bit about the architecture of this project. So. Uh, as you can imagine, uh, this is a quite complex project. It's not enormous, but of course, being like a package manager and having to resolve dependencies and, you know, download them and do all these kind of things. And of course, also, you know, caching and making sure things are efficient. Uh, there's quite a lot of moving parts. So do you want to take us through like a, you know, bird's eye overview of kind of the architecture of the Swift PM? Sure. Um, first of all, people might not know this, but... Whereas the compiler is entirely C++, uh, SwiftPM is entirely written in Swift. Hooray! So, so that's pretty nice to start with. Um, and even if it has a, a lot of different modules and moving parts, I think there's about 19 modules in total, it's actually quite simple because the modules are uh, represent different um, parts of this architecture. And if you just look at the sort of big picture uh, view, 
there are basically four parts to the uh, Swift Package Manager. There are a set of modules that handle um, all the uh, sort of low-level uh, libraries, the utility libraries, uh, the POSIX libraries, uh, dealing with the file system, uh, having a layer on top of source control. So those are purely utility, utility libraries. I think there's a total of six of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, then there's a part that's entirely responsible for the package description, the manifest, and for modeling that manifest, and then for, for loading it at runtime. Right. So that would be like parsing the outcome, like the state of your uh, package description, like actually running that and you know parsing the outcome of that executable code. Exactly. And then transforming it into um, uh, a state which uh, the rest of the Swift Package Manager uh, uh, code can understand and handle. Right. So, for example, one interesting aspect of it is that um, we have a package description uh, format for the Swift 3 format, and we have one for the Swift 4 format, because there were many changes in the package description format between Swift 3 and Swift 4. So the, the, the package loading has to be able to load them separately, but in the end, they should still um, represent one uh, single state inside the application, inside Swift PM. Swift PM can't continue to handle the differences between version three and version four through the whole uh, through the whole project. So one interesting part of that is loading those different uh, formats and and making sure they're they're uh, equivalent in the end inside the code. Yeah, and that's a really cool uh, aspect of this project, actually. I think, and it's also a big benefit of this very modular architecture because uh, if for a user of the Swift PM, it's really, really convenient if you have like a dependency that hasn't been updated for Swift 4 to actually be able to use that in the Swift 3.2 mode or something like that, like use that in a legacy mode. And usually when, like you mentioned also, like when introducing some of these kind of backwards compatible Uh, modes, you have to kind of spread that across the whole project. And of course, you don't want that. You don't want to have these if statements everywhere, like if we're in Swift 4 mode, do this, otherwise do this. And by having these kind of swappable modules that you can just use one or the other, depending on what mode you're running in, uh, it really, really creates very little kind of impact on the rest of the code base. But still, you have this huge flexibility as the user of this tool. Yeah, what's what's even... um... More tricky for the, the more tricky part for Swift PM is of course the language change between uh, Swift three and Swift four, but the actual uh, manifest format changed. Yeah, exactly. So um, in in uh, the package description, uh, the version four of the package descri- description format, um, now um, the products of of your um, manifest uh, have to be explicitly defined as products. So. If, for example, you want to vend a library or an executable, you have to specifically uh, note them in, in, the, in the product section. And there are many more changes. So the, the actual format itself of the manifest is different. And that's the, the really tricky part to handle. Right, exactly. All right, so you mentioned there are four key parts. And so far, we have utilities, we have the package description. Uh, so what are some of the other ones? Uh, the next part is, I mean, the heart of the project. Uh, the the, the part that actually uh, loads the, the graph of dependencies, tries to resolve them, and then uh, generates a, um, a build manifest for LBuild, which is actually going to do the, the, the actual building. It's also a part of the project um, that uh, defines a library um, that other tools can use to call into SwiftPM. Right, yeah. And that's a quite new thing, right? That you can actually use Swift Package Manager as a Swift package. Again, this is a benefit of it being self-hosted. Uh, you can actually use it as a package in your own tools. It's actually, it's been there from from quite a while back, I think. But it's it's been very sort of, um, um, it's still going through the stages of, um, of getting more mature. Right. So um, right now, I don't think there's, uh, a major tool out there which depends on uh, on the Swift PM library, um, so it's still going to change a lot. It's still going to break, uh, but I, get, I guess at some point we're gonna we're gonna get to uh, a Swift PM library that's more stable, and then more tools can can use it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The fourth part of the 
Swift Package Manager uh, architecture is just the, the command line tools themselves. So these are just uh, execu executable targets um, that end up just calling the, the, the library part of the Swift Package Manager. Right, so those are the things you will interact with on the command line itself, like when you tell Swift to build your project or run the tests or you know update the packages and things like that. Yeah, we've got the Swift build tool that will that knows how to build your project. Swift test tool that will use XC test that can run your tests. Uh, the Swift package tool, which has uh, many different features for uh, editing your your um, your packages for. Uh, resolving dependencies, all the sort of all the tools to initialize uh, a new uh, package, uh, all those tools to work uh, on your on your package format uh, is in there. And finally, there's also the Swift Run tool to run executables. So, if someone wants to get started now with the, the Swift Package Manager, uh, which one of these tools should they kind of start with? Like, what's the main entry point for? getting started with a Swift package. So if you want to start using uh, Swift PM, uh, the easiest thing to do is just to uh, create an empty folder, uh, use the command line to CD into it, and then run Swift package in it. And then you can provide a, a type of package using uh, dash dash type, and then library or executable. So if you want to create a, a, a library that other people want to use, you can use library there. Or if you want to uh, run, uh, define a, uh, a nice tool, you can use uh, executable. And like we mentioned earlier, there are a couple of different use cases for the Swift PM. Uh, you can use it to create like command line tools, like your own tools that you want to build. Maybe those are some things for utilities or for automating tasks that you do often. Uh, but you can also use it to create like libraries for others. And uh, this is, you know, very cool that you can uh, take some of your uh, frameworks that you might have written, you know, for things like CocoaPods or other dependency managers. And by just adding this like package.swift file, you can also make it compatible with the Swift Package Manager as well. Uh, but there's also some other use cases, like for example, server-side Swift development, and also for Swift scripting. So uh, the server-side story, I think, is the one of the kind of primary use cases currently for Swift PM. At least this is what I get the feel of that most people who use Swift PM use it for a kind of server-side Swift. And I think this is really, really interesting because most kind of projects that come out of Apple, they usually tend to be like iOS first, you know, these days at least. It tends to be, you know, a major, major focus on iOS and making kind of iOS development easier. And then eventually you might get, you know, get it for the Mac. And then eventually after that, you might get it for something like command line tools or, or something like that. But here we have a brand new project, you know, very modern. And Apple is obviously putting a lot of kind of dedication behind it and a lot of time and energy, but it's currently primarily focused on kind of server-side Swift. And this is really interesting to me. What do you think about this? Yeah, I think that's very interesting. I think Apple are very serious about uh, Swift on the server. And I think that's a very good thing. I mean, when they open source Swift, they supported Linux out of the box. Mm -hmm. So I think that means a lot. I think Apple themselves might be very interested interested about Swift on the server. So I guess the it's both uh, out of interest for uh, of using Swift themselves internally and also trying to support Swift in uh, in other in on other platforms. Yeah, I agree. And one thing that I think also Swift PM addresses in a very nice way is that when you have a new language like Swift, there's always going to be kind of big gaps in the standard library, you know, utilities and things like that that the standard library just doesn't contain yet. And by having a package manager that makes it easy to integrate third-party code using packages, uh, you can kind of fill those gaps a little bit and you can use kind of frameworks for handling files or you know, making it easier to interact with other tools and things like that uh, without having to kind of write them yourselves or just waiting for the standard library to support them. Yeah, and I mean, if you're writing a tool, if you're writing a library, and as long as you're not using UI, it, as long as it does not depend on UIKit or AppKit, basically it can be a Swift package. Yeah. And that's great. It means that uh, there are already quite a few uh, Swift packages out there because people have uh, converted their projects to be able to be built with Swift PM. And there's already a very uh, a wide amount of, of projects and libraries that already use it. And that's great. Yeah, absolutely. 
All right, next up, we want to talk a little bit about the future of the Swift Package Manager. But before we do, I want to take a very quick break and thank this episode's sponsor. And it's once again, my good friends at Bitrise. So I know that many iOS developers don't really enjoy setting up continuous integration and see it as a little bit of a chore. And I totally agree with that. I would much rather build cool new features for my app than trying to be like a build and infrastructure engineer. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I just really want to focus on my app and building the UI and building all the cool new things. And that's exactly why I use Bitrise. It's super easy to set up. You don't need to fiddle with any configuration files or build settings or any other kind of annoying things that you just have to keep trying until they succeed. Uh, You can just sign up, you log in, they pull your project from GitHub, and then you use this super nice web editor to configure exactly how you wanna build, test, and distribute your project. It's all visual. You just construct a workflow of all of the tasks that you want to perform. And that way it just works. And it really stays that way once you're up and running too. Builds, they run fast, tests run smoothly, and your testers can get access to a new build on every single commit that you make. That is so simple because you no longer have to make these manual builds every time a tester needs to verify something. You just tell them to go to Bitrise and get the latest build and it all just works. So here's what you do. They've got a brand new URL for you to sign up for Bitrise, which you can do completely for free and I really recommend it. All you have to do is go to bitrise.io slash swiftbysundell. That's a pretty cool URL, right? bitrise.io slash swiftbysundell. To sign up for free and get started with super simple continuous integration that just works. And you can see just how big positive change it can make on you and your team's workflow. Once again, that's bitrise.io slash swiftbysundell. And make sure to use that URL because it'll tell Bitrise that you came from this show, which really helps support my work. So thank you so much to Bitrise for their continued support of Swift by Sundell and for helping me to continue making this show possible. Cool. So now let's talk a little bit about what we see coming up in the Swift Package Manager's future, because I think this is a project that a lot of developers have kind of high hopes for. And, you know, every WWDC we've been thinking about, you know, will it be integrated into Xcode? Uh, Will we be able to use it for iOS development? So uh, what do you think are some of the things that are in the future of the Swift Package Manager? There's so much more to do. I mean, uh, you mentioned that uh, CocoaBots is a centralized uh, repository. Well, I'm sure the Swift PM could get a lot of the benefits of of uh, a centralized repository while staying decentralized. And that's basically through uh, package discovery, discovery tool. So um, if um, in the future we somebody works on a on a on a tool that um, tries to scan all the packages on GitHub, for example. Um, all the packages, all the projects that have a package of Swift file, we could have, for example, a tool that allows us to easily search through all the all the Swift PM packages on on GitHub, and that would be really cool. Yeah, absolutely. And I know there's been a couple of third party attempts at this. Uh, for example, IBM they had a package, uh, kind of I don't remember what they call it, but it was kind of a uh, package library or something like that, like a a repository of many known packages. And I know there's been kind of a, some projects by the community to make packages more searchable and discoverable. But of course, it would be awesome to see something like this from Apple, like something official where you could easily go and find packages, just like how you go to CocoaPods and you kind of search for what you need. Yeah, that'd be great. I'd love that. It would be even cooler if it was actually within Xcode, right? Yeah. <laughs> Where you're trying to do something. Let's say you're trying to like write some algorithm that you know is not supported in the Swift uh, standard library, and Xcode goes like, "Hey, you know, maybe you want to search for a package for this." <laughs> yeah, nice little tool. Just search from there and find whatever you want, and in a few clicks, um, Xcode might even be. Oh, that's another bit nice feature. Right now, when you you have your package of Swift uh, manifest, you've got to go and edit it manually. Right. Another very nice feature that Swift PM could have um, is, for example, tools for um, programmatically editing that Swift package. Of course, the fact that it's in Swift makes it harder to uh, edit, much harder than if it was just pure JSON, but mm-hmm. yeah. might still be feasible. And so imagine if Xcode can not only let you search for uh, packages, but also automatically add them as dependencies into your package of Swift file. And there you go. 
Yeah, that would be really cool. Because the kind of integration between the Swift Package Manager and Xcode, it currently kind of only goes one way. And that is that when you um, work with your Swift package, you can ask the Swift Package Manager to generate a Xcode project for you. And it's really interesting as well that the uh, gitignore file that you get kind of out of the box for a Swift package has the Xcode project actually git ignored. So the idea, that kind of the, the ideal workflow when working with a Swift package is to kind of just treat the Xcode project as something that you ad hoc generates. But there's currently no kind of two-way street there. It's only like Swift PM generating an Xcode project and kind of it stops there, right? Yeah, that's the, that's the current process. Uh, for people that are looking to do that, you just need to call the Swift package generate Xcode proj uh, command. And that will, that's basically the command that will read your package on Swift manifest and generate a Xcode project with the, the same targets, uh, the same uh, test targets, and allow you to work directly from Xcode. So yeah, that's currently the, the, only, the only solution. Um, it's better than nothing. I'm quite happy to have it. And sure, it'd be great to have uh, direct editing through, uh, from Xcode. I'd love that. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, Xcode is not part of the Swift open source um, project. So it's it's part of the sort of secretive side of Apple. <laughs> yeah. So we'll probably only hear about any sort of Swift PM integration when they finally announce it at some WWDC. Yeah. All right. Another uh, possibility is uh, for people to kind of build their own support into other IDEs. For example, I know a lot of people use like Visual Studio Code or you might use Atom or some other text editor in order to kind of work with the Swift PM because since it just generates these Xcode projects, it's not really tied to Xcode in any way. You can use whatever editor you want. And you mentioned earlier that there's this lib Swift PM uh, project, which enables you to kind of integrate the Swift Package Manager into your own tools. So is there a possibility of using that library to actually provide better ID support for other IDs as well? Yeah, of course, that would be a, that would be a great use of that library. I mean, the, the library is Swift PM has probably been written um, with in, in mind so that people can actually use that library that way. And anything you can do with Swift PM, you can do with the library. If you can imagine, basically, all the Swift command line tools, uh, Swift build, test, run, and um, package, they're, they're just like very s small layers, shim layers on top of that library. So everything you can do with Swift PM on the command line, you can do for that library. And I'm sure there's some great tools that people can write uh, right now using that library. Although I know that the library is not stable, so so anybody who wants to write tools using that library should just know that uh, the library itself is not stable. Many chains, many things will probably change uh, in the, when trying to actually make it better. So if you want to write a tool using it, go ahead, but be careful. Yeah, and that's definitely true for writing tools on top of uh, the Swift Package Manager in general. Uh, some might know that I wrote a tool called Marathon, which is a scripting tool that enables you to kind of very easily run and edit, you know, just single script files written in Swift. Very good tool. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> and kind of have all your dependencies managed for you so you don't have to, uh, you know, set up a package just to run a single script file. Uh, but one of the big challenges I've had with that tool is just these kind of changes that are happening under the hood. So I think if I were to adopt lib Swift PM instead, sure, there would be changes down the line, but I think I would be working against a more stable API than kind of just using the folder structure and using the command line tools directly. So that has been on my to-do list for a while and uh, hopefully I can get to it like during the summer or, or, or something like that. Oh yeah, totally. And I mean, the, the more people try to use the library, uh, the, the more feedback the Swift PM team is going to get about uh, where it works and where it doesn't work and how to make it better. So of course, it would be great if you could uh, um, adapt Marathon to use it. Yeah, I think that would be really cool. And I think it would be a very good fit as well for what the library is kind of built for, right? To actually build these kind of tooling on top of Swift PM, which Marathon literally is. Yeah, exactly. Cool. So uh, one thing that I also want to talk to you about is kind of how you got started a little bit more in detail uh, with contributing to the package manager. So you mentioned earlier that you started contributing to the compiler and then you got some help from Ankit to kind of, you know, 
get a little bit of a tour of the project and, and get started with your first couple of tasks. So if there are some people out there right now who are listening to the show and, you know, maybe are really interested, maybe they uh, had a similar kind of experience to you that maybe contributing to the compiler felt a little bit intimidating or like a big thing. And especially since Swift PM is written in Swift, uh, what are some of the ways that people could start contributing to this really exciting tool? So first of all, if you want to learn more about Swift PM itself, uh, there's a documentation folder inside the, the repo of the project. And inside there, there are many documents that describes the different uh, package description formats, uh, how to use Swift PM, how to uh, develop uh, with Swift PM. Uh, so those are documents you should definitely go and check out. Yeah, we'll put a link in the show notes. Yep, definitely. Uh, then the, the, the next part is what do you want to work on? So one thing is you can go on bugs.swift.org and it's basically a, a Jira instance for the, all the different Swift projects. And if you go there, you can set a label to only show you the uh, package manager uh, issues. And you can add another label called starter bug that will only show you the issues which have been flagged by the, the development team as sort of bite-sized issues that you can start working with. Mm -hmm. So that's definitely something to check out. Go there, see if there's something that uh, you feel comfortable with. If there's something you want to fix, go ahead and give that a try. Um, if, if even that you're not too sure about, there's also, you can just have a look at the documentation and see that there are things that you want to improve in the documentation. That's also another great place to start. Yeah, that's awesome. I think that's a very, very kind of overlooked way of contributing to open source in general is to kind of fix documentation. So, you know, sometimes uh, developers like to complain about lacking documentation, you know, definitely I do that too sometimes. It's like, oh, if only this method was a little bit better documented. But once you go and kind of figure that out for an open source project, a great way to contribute is actually to submit that documentation as a pull request that you were missing. So once you figure out how a method works or something that might be undocumented, uh, to just kind of document it and make sure that no one else has to go through that struggle that you went through. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's very, very useful because you know that if somebody struggles on something, uh, there's a pretty big chance that a lot of people are struggling on the same thing. Yeah. So uh, another other place to another way to start uh, contributing is if there's a feature that you think is missing, just go ahead and try to see if you can uh, code it in. That's that's the way I really got uh, hooked into the project. Um, I was annoyed that uh, the the only way to run an executable uh, target in your in your package description was to actually go inside the .build uh, folder um, to go and execute it. And basically had to know uh, implementation, implementation detail of Swift PM to know where your executable was built to go and be able to execute it. So that's why uh, when I started contributing, I, I basically worked through writing a, a Swift evolution proposal for Swift PM and then building the Swift run command. So that, that's something else you can do if, if there's something that uh, you think it's missing and you you want to work with, you can. that's something you can do. Yeah, that's really cool. And uh, it's great also that Swift PM kind of uses the same process as Swift itself. So you have the, uh, the forum, you've got the uh, proposals system, you've got Swift Evolution, and then you go ahead and implement it. So if people have been looking at kind of Swift Evolution and been following it, the same kind of principles apply to Swift PM as well. Yeah, exactly. So that's a place to, to have a look. Also, if you if another way to contribute is if you don't want to write documentation and you don't want to write code, just go on the forums, uh, chat with people about uh, Swift PM, uh, read the different proposals, uh, give comments on the features which are, are planned and give your feedback that way. That's another really good way to contribute. Mm -hmm, absolutely. All right, what do you say? Should we uh, wrap this episode up by answering some questions from the audience? Sounds good. All right, so we've got a great question here from Helge Hess. I hope that's the way you pronounce this uh, German character <laughs> that is in your name there, Helge. Um, but Helge asks, uh, what if there was a system where we could have signed packages, like code signed packages, and there would be some kind of app store for downloading packages? So I think this is a really interesting idea uh, because we've seen some kind of problems sometimes where uh, you've got these kind of closed source SDKs and you're uh, 
uh, you want to embed them in your app, but you don't really trust them. And a uh, friend of the show, Felix Krause, he had a pretty great blog post about, you know, things to think about when you want to decide whether you're going to trust a third party SDK. So I think something like this could maybe help if there was like a trusted way to get third party packages from Apple with review. Uh, what do you think about this, David? I think it's definitely an interesting idea. I understand the the, the intent behind the feature. Uh, unfortunately, signing and a review process would mean that there's a central authority, in this case, Apple, that validates, I guess, um, each um, package and each update to every package. Um, I'm not sure it's I'm not sure it's what people want. Um, it's also not the way that SwiftPM was designed because it's been designed as a completely decentralized uh, package manager. The fact that um, the only thing you, the only thing that you need to give to SwiftPM for your package is just the URL of the uh, Git or whatever repository. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think SwiftPM already has some interesting features when it comes to kind of verifying the Git signature and things like that. And I know there's a lot of things uh, kind of in the pipeline as well to kind of improve the security aspects of SwiftPM as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, so the the aspect that uh, Felix Krauser talked about of trusting your SDKs, uh, there are actually two interesting aspects to that. Uh, the first aspect is the SDK itself. And I mean, if it's closed source, you don't really know what's in there. So that's one aspect. The other aspect is those dependencies have their own uh, package.swift file. And that package.swift file is basically executable code. And it's mm-hmm. executable code that's running on your own machine. So you see yeah. where I'm heading. It's There's also uh-huh. a, a, a yeah. trust issue. And it might not even be the package.swift file of, of your dependency if you're connected uh, if you're downloading the dependency on an untrusted network, you could be somebody could be man in the middling uh, and giving you a different package of Swift file which has some nasty code inside there. Yeah. Uh, but thankfully, Swift PM already tries to do a lot to to prevent any any bad things happening there. Uh, Swift PM actually runs these package Swift files inside the macOS sandboxing. Mm, right. So there's a little bit of security there already. Yeah, so if someone writes like a shells out to like the command line to like delete all your folders, that's not going to work. No, that's not going to work. Yeah, it's a really interesting aspect. And uh, I, I totally agree with you that uh, the beauty of SwiftPM is that you can use kind of any package from anywhere as long as it kind of conforms to the manifest and conforms to kind of the protocol. Um, but at the same time, I think this could also kind of improve discoverability. Uh, the problem with Apple kind of, you know, being the... Uh, authority is that they will also kind of have an opinion about kind of what types of packages would be built. And, you know, just like with the App Store, uh, there will be probably rules and things like that. And the kind of free market that we have today where you can just host it anywhere, you can build any kind of package, you can just put it on GitHub or put it on any Git server, and it kind of just works. I think that is there's, it's really, really beautiful. And uh, what I think instead we should probably see is some kind of successor to this IBM project we talked about earlier, the, uh, the this repository of Swift packages, uh, where you could actually discover things in some kind of official manner, but not necessarily have them hosted there. Yeah, that sounds very good. Um, to come back to the to the uh, review process, um, if we look, if we have a look at it through um, iOS and macOS developers' eyes, it might make sense because we're used to a world where Apple. Uh, validates uh, our apps and goes through the review process. But there are many people using Swift on the server right now, using Vapor, and people working on the server are really in a different mindset. They've always used open source software. Uh, they prefer decentralized tools. They prefer tools where they have total control. And I'm, I'm, I think that um, a central authority validating packages would actually drive a lot of people away, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with that. And to come back to the uh, to the yeah the discovery aspect, yeah, definitely, I think that the the, the right solution is to have a uh, a tool which which scans, for example, the the most well known um, uh, repositories of of source code like GitHub or GitLab, and tries to find them uh, find all the packages that exist and allows you to search them. That would be great. Yeah, then we would get like a best of both worlds kind of kind of way. Mm-hmm. 
Cool. Uh, the next question is here from Marco Capano, and he's asking a little bit, what's the state of the Swift Package Manager, and how long will it take before it's ready to take CocoaPod's place in the iOS community? <laughs> That's kind of a, a little bit of a loaded loaded question there. <laughs> uh, but uh, what do you think? Like, how far are we, uh, realistically speaking, uh, from being able to use Swift Package Manager, maybe not as a replacement of CocoaPods, but a as an alternative to CocoaPods? Uh, I think it's difficult to tell. Um, well, first of all, you can already use it to do some some of the things that you do with CocoaPods. Uh, for example, all the tools that I use, for example, like uh, SwiftLint, uh, all the ex- executable tools that I use during development, I now handle that those dependencies with SwiftPM. So in a way, you can already start using SwiftPM today for your iOS development, just not use it for the, the building uh, your app itself. Yeah. Um, and I think that uh, in terms of the state of Swift PM, um, there are already quite a few uh, um, functionality that have been implementing through and during these last few years. Uh, we recently got um, local packages and system targets as uh, big features. Uh, we there's still the build settings. That's uh, something that's probably uh, to uh, coming on the horizon. Um, so yeah, the, a few a few big features to come, but it's starting to look quite mature. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's really exciting, I think. And I think when we get iOS support in Swift PM in some kind of capacity, I think usage is probably just going to explode because most Swift developers, I would guess, are iOS developers. And uh, also, you know, I, I I joked here that the the question was a little bit of a loaded question, and that's because there's always this heated argument in the Swift community, like how you should resolve your dependencies? Should you just use Git? Should you, you know, just pull them in manually and just include them? Should you use CocoaPods or Carthage? You know, there's so many different options. And I think having something from Apple that is a, you know, somewhat official way of doing things might also help people decide on how to do these things, but also kind of help beginners when you get into uh, iOS development. So, you know, there's an, an official tool that you can just use. Yeah, if ever that happens, that would be really nice. Uh, I mean, CocoaPods is a great tool. Uh, but yeah, unfortunately, it has. I mean, every time Xcode changes, it it's gonna it keeps breaking CocoaPod, and CocoaPod keeps trying to to catch up. So it's it's a really difficult task trying to to write a tool that uh, generates an Xcode project and tries to handle all dependencies for iOS and macOS projects because you're constantly trying to to fix issues uh, because it's unfortunately it's not made by Apple. Uh, it's def- it's definitely true that if we had if Swift PM was supported uh, for um, in Xcode and for developing uh, and for handling iOS and macOS app dependencies, um, coming from Apple, I guess that we could get more uh, uh, a more stable uh, ecosystem. All right. So final question comes from Klaus, and uh, Klaus asks, uh, how can we keep up with new changes and new features in the Swift Package Manager? Because the change log has not really been frequently updated. So are there some better uh, places where you can look if you just want to find out like what are some of the new features that are coming? Yeah, sure. Um, well, the change log, I don't think it's been updated frequently, really. And I um, I mean, the, the best way to, to find out about uh, the changes is to follow uh, the different Swift evolution proposals. Yeah. So as for the compiler, uh, anytime there's a major... Uh, functional change to Swift PM. Um, so if, for example, when I introduced Swift Run, it had to go through a proposal that was uh, put up in front of everybody to to give their uh, to get some feedback uh, before it's either accepted or refused. Uh, it was also the case for the, the local packages feature, uh, for the system targets feature. Uh, whenever we get build settings, it's gonna go through the same, um, through the same process. So I think mm-hmm. that's really the best way to keep up with the, the new features of uh, Swift PM. And also, if you if you have a, an issue with Swift PM, uh, the best way is to file a bug on bugs.swift.org and follow that issue there to know when it's fixed. Yeah, absolutely. All right, make sure to keep um, an eye on those places if you're interested in Swift PM, which I definitely am. So we're now reaching the end of this episode. So thank you so much, David, for taking the time to talk to me here about Swift PM. It's been really, really great. And I think a lot of people have learned a thing or two about Swift PM or maybe 
we've encouraged them a little bit to check it out or to maybe even contribute to the project. So thanks so much for being on the show. Well, thanks for having me. It's been great. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. So if people want to find you online, uh, where should they go? Um, so on GitHub, I'm Hartbit, H-A-R-T-B-I-T. And on Twitter, I'm dhartbit. And if you, if you feel like you want to uh, contribute to the Swift Package Manager, you're interested in that project and you're having issues, don't hesitate. Send me a DM on Twitter and I'll, I'll see if I can help. Awesome. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter. I'm at John Sundell. And you can find everything about this show and all the weekly Swift blog posts at swiftbysundell.com. You can also find the show notes for this episode at swiftbysundell.com slash podcast slash 26. Uh, once again, thanks a lot to Bitrice for sponsoring this episode. And thank you so much, everybody, for listening. And uh, I'll talk to you on the next episode. <laughs>